Book of Mormon Prophecy, a podcast series by Avraham Gileadi, Ph.D. 10. Is a great division prophesied? Do the scriptures predict an end-time division among all people, including the Latter-day Saints? How should we prepare ourselves to choose the right? Welcome to podcast number 10. Is a great division prophesied? The answer is yes, everywhere. As you have noticed, it already exists today. Certainly in this country, and it's beginning to happen all around the world. And will continue to happen as people stand up for the truth and as the wicked stand up for what they believe. It's prophesied in 2 Nephi 30, verses 8 through 10, which again references Isaiah 11, 4. You see, each time we're talking about an end-time scenario based on Isaiah, an end-time great division. It shall come to pass that the Lord God shall commence his work. We know that's the great and marvelous work of restoration of the house of Israel. Among all nations, kindreds, tongues, and people, to bring about the restoration of his people upon the earth. And with righteousness shall the Lord judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips slay the wicked. Now that's quoting Isaiah 11.4. For the time speedily cometh that the Lord God shall cause a great division among the people, and the wicked will he destroy, and he will spare his people, yea, even if it so be that he must destroy the wicked by fire. And we know from other scriptures that the righteous, the elect of God, in the new exodus that takes place, out of Babylon to Zion, people will walk through the fire. So the same fire that destroys the wicked is going to be no problem for those who have power over the elements as they are led home by God's servants, the Ephraimites. Now, we see from Isaiah itself, Isaiah 11.4, that there's going to be a great division because with righteousness, righteousness is a person, as we know, the Lord's arm of righteousness, the Lord God will judge the poor and deliver them from captivity and so forth, as we have seen. And yet, on the other hand, he has power over the nations and over the leaders of nations, and so he's going to reprove them with equity on behalf of the meek of the earth. He will smite the earth with the rod of his mouth. And the rod is another word for the servant, another code name, and with the breath of his lips slay the wicked. And those also code names for God's end-time servant. So this great division happens, and it's prophesied to be among the entire earth, as I mentioned, but particularly among God's end-time people. And when that happens, then this whole scenario is set in motion. We continue on reading in 1 Nephi 14.7, which quotes Isaiah 29.13-14. An end-time separation. The time cometh, says the Lamb of God, that I will work a great and marvelous work among the children of men, a work which shall be everlasting either on the one hand or on the other. Now, this is this great division again, and it happens right at the very end, but here it is equated with the great and marvelous work. Because the great and marvelous work, as is defined in these scriptures and in the book of Isaiah, 
or involves the destruction of the wicked and the deliverance of the righteous. To Zion in an Exodus to Zion. But before that happens, some believe and some disbelieve. Some become obedient and accept the gospel, come into the Lord's covenant, others reject it. Having had the light, they sin against it and so forth. As we saw earlier, the apostasy of God's current people of the Latter-day Saints is the first event in Isaiah's end-time scenario. Those who are today God's people are the ones who apostatize. But as the apostles of Jesus Christ took the gospel to the Gentiles, so there are some among us who do what the sons of Messiah did in taking the gospel to the Lamanites, and they believed by the thousands, and so it will be again. I'll continue, either to the convincing of them unto peace and life eternal, the peace and life eternal that comes of Christ, Jesus, or unto the deliverance of them to the hardness of their hearts and blindness of their minds, which, as we know, comes from the devil, unto their being brought down into captivity, which is a covenant curse, and also unto destruction, both temporally and spiritually, according to the captivity of the devil. Now, first spiritually, because they reject the word of God, that then comes forth, and the work of the Lord of restoration of the house of Israel, that then happens, they're going to reject all of that and fight it, in fact, and then they're going to be destroyed physically as well as spiritually. Now, among the children of men, it says, which is a worldwide event, but as we know, everything begins within the church. On my house shall it begin. Everything begins in the church. And from the church it spreads throughout the world. We read in 2 Nephi chapter 6, verses 12 through 13, where Jacob quotes Isaiah 29, 7 and 8. The Gentiles fight against Zion. Blessed are the Gentiles, they of whom the prophet has written. He's speaking of Isaiah, the prophet. There are certain Gentiles who are blessed among those who don't apostatize. And they are the salvation of this whole work. They're the ones who take it to the house of Israel. For behold, if it so be that they shall repent, repent of all our worldliness, of our Babylonian culture that, in which we are totally immersed today, and fight not against Zion, and do not unite themselves to that great and abominable church. What happens is when the Lord pours his spirit upon the house of Israel so that they begin to believe, he also takes his spirit away from the Gentiles. As happened anciently, the reverse this time. So the temptation will be to, to unite with that great and unabominable church and to fight against Zion for the wicked. And we see today how people, once they latch on to a cause and they don't think through the situation, they're not interested in the truth, they feel all kinds of senses of entitlement and their cause is just in their eyes, and black is white and white is black, and so forth. You can't persuade them at that point. They have crossed a line. It's, they have reached the point of no return, and when that happens, then, yeah, there's nothing you can do to talk to them. Those who are blessed, on the other hand, who repent and fight not against thine, they shall be saved, for the Lord God will fulfill his covenant, which he hath made unto his children, and for this cause has the prophet written these things. Well, the Lord has made covenants with the house of Israel, with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, with King David and his heirs. But here he says, which he has made unto his children. Now, of course, those who take the gospel to the house of Israel 
are also God's children, and they make covenants with the Lord. They make covenants according to the Davidic covenant, which is to be saviors of men. They will pay any price for the house of Israel to restore them unto God. They have care for the house of Israel, as the scriptures say, and they serve as fathers and mothers, nursing fathers and nursing mothers spiritually and physically in bringing them to Zion in that end time. So he said, he will fulfill his covenants which he has made unto his children, and for this cause has the prophet written these things, that is Isaiah, which he's been quoting. Wherefore, they that fight against Zion and the covenant people of the Lord shall lick up the dust of their feet. We covered that idea previously, how some Gentiles repent and become saviors to the house of Israel, and some rebel and don't repent, and they are the ones who lick up the dust of the other's feet. Again, we have that great division there among the Gentiles, among God's end-time people, people of today. And you'll see all of this develop in the near future because it's all been set in motion already, as we can see from the great division that's happening in the nation and around the world. We continue with this idea in 1 Nephi 14.10, the church of God and the church of the devil. He said unto me, Behold, there are saved two churches only. The one is the church of the Lamb of God, and the other is the church of the devil. The church of the Lamb of God, because he's the one who paid for our transgressions. It is through his atonement that we come unto the Father, come unto the Father in his name. We have our garments cleansed by his blood, so to speak. And we are his. We know him. He knows us. We've taken his name upon us. And eventually the Father also will put his name upon us, at least upon those who bring them to Zion, who restore the house of Israel, as we see in the book of Revelation. Wherefore, whoso belongeth not to the church of the Lamb of God, belongeth to that great church, which is the mother of abominations, and she is the whore of all the earth. And that is the equivalent of the harlot Babylon in the book of Revelation and also in Isaiah. Is this the members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? Can they also belong to the Church of the Devil? Well, absolutely they can. But, of course, unbeknownst to them, they are no longer members of the Church, at least not according to God's estimation. So we have Zion and Babylon dividing into two, the great whore and the, and the virgin daughter of Zion, dividing the whole world, in fact, into two, because if the one doesn't belong, the church of the Lamb of God, then they are of the other side. Then we come to 1 Nephi 14, verses 14 and 15. God endows his people with power. It came to pass that I, Nephi, beheld the power of the Lamb of God, that it descended upon the saints of the church of the Lamb and upon the covenant people of the Lord, who were scattered upon all the face of the earth, armed with righteousness and with the power of God in great glory. And it came to pass that I beheld that the wrath of God was poured out on that great and abominable church. Well, we've read this before, of course, but I want to go back into the mechanics of how this works. You know that every covenant of God has blessings and curses, and how this great reversal of circumstances happens when the one people, the poor and the, and the lame and so forth, the halt and the humble followers of Christ, and they're oppressed by by those who belong to the other side, the Babylonish people of the world, 
and even among their own kind there are those who rise up against them and consider them evil and so forth and persecute them and speak evil of them and humiliate them and separate themselves from them and so forth. Now all of that happens in the end time because evil has to run its course and the Lord allows evil to run its course so that the righteous may learn to rise above it. And the Lord empowers the righteous people as they learn to rise above it through his grace. He empowers them over their enemies. But a great empowerment happens, as we see in these verses, when the whore of all the earth fights against Zion, that is, fights against the Lord's people of the covenant. And then something interesting happens. The covenant curses of God's people or of individuals with God turn into covenant curses upon those who threaten them with annihilation, who threaten them with death, who attack them and so forth. When the enemy of God's people take their opposition to that degree where they want to destroy them, then the covenant curses of the Lord's covenant with the Lord's people come upon their enemies. And this is called the day of power. And it doesn't happen until all the evils have been unleashed, basically, and God's people come under that kind of opposition. Then there is that reversal of circumstances. And the power of the Lamb of God descends upon the saints of the church of the Lamb. That is, those who are sanctified, not just Latter-day Saints by name, of course, and upon the covenant people of the Lord, because those saints are empowered to serve as ministering fathers and mothers, kings and queens of the Gentiles, to the house of Israel, to the covenant people of the Lord. And those who are then newly being received into the Lord's covenant of the Jews, the ten tribes, and Lehi's descendants. Next we come to DNC 103, 9 through 10, which we have already read, but this is also part of this great division. They were set to be a light unto the world, that is, us, Latter-day Saints, descendants of Ephraim, that have come through the Gentile lineages, and to be saviors of men. And inasmuch as they are not saviors of men, they shall be as salt that has lost its savor, and is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and trodden under foot of men. So those are the two options as Latter-day Saints that we are left with in the end time. We have no other option. Either we do the one or we're part of the other. There's no in-between anymore. We've been given too much not to fulfill these end-time roles. And if we walk away from them, then we'll remain celestial people and we'll be cut off with all the other celestial people of the earth. And then there's a scripture from 4th Nephi, chapter 1, verses 34 through 35 and verse 38. And we see this also in other Book of Mormon types where there is a willful rebellion away from the gospel of Jesus Christ that they have been given. And that is what happens, sadly enough, among the majority of Gentiles eventually. And then the gospel, as we know, turns to the house of Israel. There's a time then that it says the people did harden their hearts. Now we know from Nephi's definition of hardening the heart, he spoke to Laman and Lemuel who did not inquire for themselves about their father's vision of the tree of life. And they said, oh, the Lord makes no such thing known to us. Right? Remember that. And then what does Nephi say? He says, how can you harden your hearts so? How can you harden your hearts so? In other words, Laman's and Lemuel's hardening of the heart 
consisted simply of not inquiring for themselves. Now, to transform that to us, how often do we inquire for ourselves whether something is true? How often do we delve into the scriptures to confirm a thing that we've been led to believe is true or not? Because the scriptures cover it all. If it's out of harmony with the scriptures in any situation, then it's not of God. And we've been led to believe a precept of men or some other watered-down teaching. It says, The people did harden their hearts, and they did smite upon the people of Jesus. But the people of Jesus did not smite again, and thus they did dwindle in unbelief and wickedness from year to year, even until 230 years had passed away. And now it came to pass in this year, in the 230 and first year, there was a great division among the people. And it came to pass that they who rejected the gospel did not dwindle in unbelief, but they did willfully rebel against the gospel of Christ. There comes a time in the rising generation that they had known the gospel. They were raised up in it, but they willfully rebel against it. And that is the sad prophecy that prophets of the Book of Mormon saw of us Latter-day Saints, us Ephraimite lineages that have come through the Gentiles. And it also talks about the church being broken up at some point in time. So all of these Book of Mormon uh, scriptures that where these things happen anciently act as types and shadows of our day. It also talks about the humble followers of Christ being persecuted in the Book of Mormon by a secret combination consisting of high priests and lawyers and doctors and so forth. Those who were the elite of God's people at one time. And what do the humble followers of Christ do? They don't return railing for railing and so forth. They accept their humiliation. They go through their descent phases. And as they go through their descent phases of humiliation and suffering and persecution and so forth, the Lord blesses them. At a certain point in time, he says, enough. And then when they try to destroy the people of God, then he reverses their circumstances and delivers them. And that is the, the sad, but also a great situation or great event that's going to follow as these world events continue to, to emerge. So in summary, this time, God's end-time people of the Gentiles divide into either saviors or a salt that has lost its savor. And we see this also in the great division in the book of Isaiah in general. We've talked about two cities, Zion and Babylon. We've talked about two women, the current wife of Jehovah, who rebels or proves disloyal, and the new wife of Jehovah, the woman Zion, consisting of the house of Israel lineages, the natural lineages of Israel. But there are also two covenants in the book of Isaiah, the covenant of death and the covenant of life, and each one accepts you know, one or the other. And the time frame, of course, is the end time when God's people and the world polarize into opposite camps. We've already seen the beginning of that in the world. Moving forward, do we see scriptural patterns from the past as types of the future? And this is where Isaiah and his 30 new versions of ancient events come into play. But you also see these same types and shadows in the Book of Mormon where events that were taken selectively out of their history, less than a hundredth part, typify the future. And we better take notice because those things are not something we're not going to experience. We experience them all, practically, in the latter days.
And the next time, how do Book of Mormon prophets use the prophecies of Isaiah? And we're going to see how the main themes of the Book of Isaiah are part of this end-time scenario of the Book of Mormon used when they are talking about our day and age, talking to their descendants, to us Gentiles, about the end time that they saw in their own visions. Recommended reading or listening is Isaiah Decoded for this week, Ascending the Ladder to Heaven. I think you'll get a lot out of the book if you haven't already read that one. See you next time. Thank you very much for listening. Please share. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us today. Join us next time when we learn how Isaiah's prophecies work. Should Latter-day Saints apply Isaiah's definitions when interpreting his own words or their own? Are Isaiah's main themes a key to Book of Mormon prophecy?